Welcome back to The Greatest Show on Earth. It's episode six of Imposter Syndrome, a golf podcast. I'm your host, Todd Howe. The Super Bowl is over. Kansas City beat the 49ers 25-22 in overtime. Game it could have gone either way. Joining me as always, Mr. Sean Fagan. How are you, my man? What's up, Todd? How are you? Happy Monday. Happy Monday evening. Sorry about your 49ers. We were rooting for them. Um, can't stop Patrick Mahomes. Nope. I think uh, dynasty is the word being thrown around today. You know what? I'm over it. There's always next year. The 49ers are going to only get stronger, I think, in years to come. They're going to run out of money and salary cap, so we'll see. But yeah, I mean, pretty uneventful game for the first Core, uh, first, first half, and then you know, once Usher wrapped his arms around Alicia Keys, and you know, the whole thing changed. <laughs> uh, we're trending, dude. Last week was our biggest episode yet. A huge thank you to all our new listeners. We're big in the Philippines, by the looks of it. How about that? Cool. Yeah, welcome to all of our listeners listening in the Philippines. Uh, we got listeners in New Zealand. So it's all happening, and we are very excited to announce our brand new partnership with Studio 72. Expect anything different? Studio 72 make exceptional golf prints. It's really cool. There was like such crossover, right? You know, I gotten to know Connor, who runs Studio 72, and uh, I had actually fit Connor. He's a lefty, a lot of club head speed. Great mustache, awesome guy, excellent prince. I'm excited to have a partnership with with them 100%. Later in the podcast, we're going to be announcing an exclusive giveaway. Oh, amazing. But right now, you can head over to studio72.com and use code IMPOSTER15 to get 15% off everything on their website. What more could you ask for? Our first promo code and, and a giveaway keep listening because it is uh, one hell of a good giveaway uh, ahead of the Genesis Invitational coming up this week. Look, just over uh, 45 minutes ago, as we've pressed the record button, uh, Tiger Woods has launched Sunday Red. The Instagram video that he just posted has had over 750,000 views already. It's probably at a million right now if I check my phone. I literally was watching his Instagram account grow by the tens of thousands every five, ten minutes. Uh, it's going off. Got to say, I'm not a fan of the clothing. I don't know. Like, I don't really get it. I don't know. I don't understand the sun day red. We know what Sunday red means. I don't understand how they have to break it up into thirds. Like it's a jumbo subway sandwich. We all know Tiger to be such a great dresser. So I can't wait to follow everything he wears. You know, Nike is one thing when they were standalone, they would actually make good clothes. And if you have a body like Tiger's does it, it Tiger does, it looks pretty good, but I don't know. This is a little strange for me. It's not something that's really appealing. Plus, red isn't good for my complexion at all. It, it makes me look bright bright pink. So I stay away from red as much as I can. It's coming out May 1st, apparently, and uh, you know we're going to keep an eye on it. Coming up on this week's show, we're recapping all the action from the Wasted Management Phoenix Open. And yes, it lived up to that name for sure. Uh, all the live golf action from Las Vegas. Later in the show, as I said just before, we are announcing a competition in conjunction with Studio 72, and we'll be telling you how you can enter. The mailbag today is being replaced with something a little bit more focused. We'll be discussing the merits of a set wedge versus a specialty wedge. It's something that I want to discuss because it's specifically a problem area that I've got. And then Sean is going to run us through his Tales from the Bay. Is Tales from the Fitting Bay. Interesting stories that uh, I think you'll find quite entertaining. We'll have a special segment on next week's show where we're going to vote in our top 10 public courses in Los Angeles. It'll essentially be the greater Los Angeles area because there's a couple of courses that are, you know, an hour, 90 minutes drive. There's amazing golf in Ventura County and Orange County. So we wanted to include that too. You know, if you live here, you do travel to play golf. When you Google best courses in Los Angeles, it is a wild west, a total nightmare. You don't know if they're private, public, if they're accessible, if they're a nine hole executive course, like it's a real mess. And I feel like, you know, this golfing community that we are a part of, we all know where the good courses are. And, you know, the outsider who moves to LA and there's like 30, 40,000 of them every year. And it, I would imagine maybe 10 to 15% of them play golf. You don't know where to start. So you end up kind of finding a golf course in your neck of the woods 
and you might play it over and over again and never actually see some of the beauty that Southern California offers, some of the amazing architecture. And I think, you know, you combine walkability, right, location, setting, architecture, fun to play, uh, NIS or whatever you want to call that category, green quality, and obviously the price and pace of play. You know, I think that would be a really cool opportunity for us to kind of share our experience and, and hear from, you know, everyone else as well. Absolutely. So look, send us a message at imposter golf pod on Instagram or uh, shoot us an email at contact at imposter golf with anything that you think should be on the list. Uh, what's on your short list? Certainly you got to leave us links, Rustic Canyon, Soul Park, Rancho Park. I think, you know, just as a top four for public accessible tracks within an hour and a half of LA, that's where the list starts. And obviously, you know, there's a bunch of other ones too. You could throw Wilson and Harding on, you could throw the Ike course, uh, you could throw Angeles National, you could throw Trump National, you could throw Pelican Hill on there, Oak Quarry. I mean, there's a lot of them. It's just really hard to kind of be put on the spot and rank them right now. So when we attack this, we want to have the proper amount of, you know, criteria that's properly been vetted and graded out uh, to make this a legitimate endeavor to get this right. A lot of work to be done between now and next week. I'm going totally bug-eyed editing our first on-course episode of the feel like Rory for a day round. Looks pretty cool. Looks pretty cool. Yeah, it's starting to look pretty good, actually. I've got some chops, I'm not going to lie. But we're planning to release maybe part one of our feel like Rory for a day round uh, after next week's episode, after we announce the winners of the competition that we uh, haven't even told you about yet, but we're going to later in the show. But expect something following next week's show. Uh, episode seven will be next week's show. <laughs> A lot has been happening in the last week. Uh, we're going to talk shortly about all the uh, PGA Tour mayhem from uh, the Waste Management Open in Phoenix. Mayhem. Some, oh, it was wild, man. We've got some live golf action. Golfer's Journal uh, edition number 27 came out this week. I just got it in the mail. Um, fantastic, fantastic article on Metalwood Studios and Cole Young and uh, the new golf fashion movement. Uh, another great article on Leonard Kamsler, uh, an amazing golf photographer, uh, took a bunch of shots of the Masters back in, in the glory days. You know, if you don't subscribe to the Golfer's Journal, I would highly recommend it because they're um, works of art. Yeah, yeah. They do some beautiful artwork. They have very tasteful design and really interesting articles. It's the nicest golf magazine there is for sure. Check out the Golfers Journal. Strixon today announced some limited edition black chrome versions of their Mark II irons. Those look sexy as hell. Not many available. You have to kind of rush and get them before they're all sold out. But a super cool club. You know, every manufacturer, one of the big manufacturers releases some sort of, you know, black tinted or murdered out golf club iron, um, usually towards like the end of production. This is pretty middle of the production line, I, I think, which is kind of cool. And I'm not sure exactly if they just powder coated it or not, but they look great. It is black chrome. So these are going to look good, I think, for a lot longer. Just I think Strixon have uh, really taken into account the wear and tear factor when it comes to black golf clubs. Okay. The Waste Management Phoenix Open or Wasted Management Phoenix Open. Boy, it was action-packed this weekend. Where are we going to start with this dude? Nick Taylor with a very impressive win. Uh, it wasn't without some issues, um, the Phoenix Waste Management Open. Uh, there is a long list of issues. A female spectator fell from the stand at 16. Thankfully, no life-threatening injuries. Zach Johnson, Billy Horschel getting involved with fans after heckling incidents. Jordan Spieth getting affected by the crowd on his approach uh, to 18. I, th I, I didn't actually catch what what the person said, but um, it was right in the middle of Jordan's backswing on his approach into 18. Videos on social media going around of comatose fans getting carried out. Topless guys body sliding through the grass, not to mention Saturday's debacle with too many people being let in. Ticket holders unable to be to to get into the event because they had to close the doors, and then the venue stopping alcohol service uh, completely at one point on Saturday. It was insane. 
Give me the wrap up before we get into the golf. I don't know how you can say that it was organized in any way. Like it's always been a big party, but I've seen a lot of different videos that suggested they weren't even checking tickets. And one of the reasons why they stopped alcohol sales is they had like 20,000 additional people that got on property. They've completely lost control of that tournament. And like, it must've been really embarrassing for the people who put it, who put it on. And, uh, I don't know how they can kind of massage this back to health. I think, you know, a lot of the players are going to say, screw this. This is not about golf anymore. You know, you go to golf to watch golf. Like I'm all for having fun and everything like that. I don't want to sound like a hall monitor. I've seen beer funnels. I've seen uh, double chugs. I've seen the stone cold double chug, right? Where you're like, ah, uh, yeah. I've, I've seen, um, you know, obviously like people pouring beer from the grandstands down to the level. I'm seeing shotguns. I, I just don't get it. And how do they lose control of this golf tournament? If anything, this is supposed to be a goldmine for the PGA Tour. Hey, bring a wider audience in and still show the respect to the golf, but also throw a party. And like, I mean, what are they even doing at this point? You know, they're lucky that girl didn't fall and break her neck. Um, they're lucky that, you know, we didn't have any players actually like physically interrupted, right? I mean, all it takes, you saw the guy jump into the bunker on 16 and do a snow angel face plan into it. Like, at what point does someone get so drunk and they can't even walk that they tackle a player? You know, I mean, that's literally what's next. Bring it on, I guess. You know, I mean, it's a, I will say though, for the telecast, at least what I saw on Saturday when I actually had a little bit of time to watch it live, like there was a pretty good, you know, exciting vibe there. And Kevin Kisner and Smiley Kaufman were great on 16. Like that was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, they need to fix this. They need, I don't know how they fix it though. Cause I just don't expect the players to bother showing up next year. Why would they? It went a little bit Woodstock 99 on Saturday, <laughs> but by all accounts, Sunday was a lot more, uh, a lot more normal. Look, I think they just had to go there to come back. I really think that Saturday was probably an experiment in how far you could push things. Um, not consciously, obviously, it just it just ended up there. But I think that they'll put more rules in place uh, next year. Look, I mean, speaking of me being Australian, Australia hasn't served full strength beer at sporting events in over 30 years and this is the reason why you know i remember going to cricket matches as you know when i was younger you'd have 75 80 people arrested you know eventually it gets to a point where they just stop serving full strength beer it, it probably has uh more benefits to the general public than just at golf tournaments and sporting events but australia might be onto something yeah, well, I think Australia was onto something 30 years ago. <laughs> Look, through all of this, there was some absolutely incredible golf. And, you know, I was we were watching this on a phone with the, the 49ers game uh, going on in the background. You know, the, it was the first quarter. But Nick Taylor, what a win, winning in a two-hole playoff against Charlie Hoffman. Hoffman shot seven under in the final round. He hmm. was solid all day. He did not falter. Taylor shot six under. He was a little up and down and definitely appeared to be feeling the pressure of a final group pairing early on. You know, but Hoffman's leading at 21 under in the clubhouse. Nick Taylor's three back heading into 15. And what happens? He birdies 15. He birdies 16. He pars 17. He birdies 18 to go into a playoff. And then he birdies 18 twice to win the tournament. Five birdies in six holes to win the golf tournament. I mean, Charlie Hoffman, hats off to him. He had nothing but praises for uh, Nick Taylor's performance and how he brought it home. But look, I think Nick Taylor, wow, talk about exciting wins. He's that, he had that. He had the Canadian Open where he, he drained that 50-footer to beat Tommy Fleetwood last year. I mean... He could be the most exciting playoff player of the last couple of years, I think. Shades of Ricky Fowler at uh, Sawgrass, right? Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Uh, Charlie Hoffman, by the way, is like the 300th ranked player in the world. But if the 300th ranked player can just beat Scotty Scheffler in an event like this, you know, it tells you how much parity there is in golf and how, again, easy the game is becoming. Um, yeah. This is a, a something I'm going to be standing on all year as we continue doing these. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a pattern there. I know, I know. Um, look, Sahith Thigala, 
looked a bit out of sorts yesterday. He just didn't have his stuff. Sam Burns also with a really solid performance. He's looking good this year. Yeah, he's super hot right now. And he finished 18 under in a tie for third with Scotty Scheffler. And here we go again. Scotty Scheffler's putting woes continue to be a problem for him. He missed at least three short-range putts there coming in late. That got me going down the rabbit hole again, looking at his stats. Look, Scheffler is 107th in strokes gained putting this season. He's 122nd in putts per round at 29.91, which for PGA Tour is below average. Then I'm looking at his per round putting averages, comparing this year to last year. Obviously, there's a small sample size, but round one, he's 161st in putting this year, uh, 112th last year. Round two, he's third. 143rd last year round three he's 114th this year 130th last year and round four he's 125th 65th last year and i mean even even though it's a small sample size his parts for round one round three and round four so far this year have been in the 30s and i'm not talking low 30 it's like he's 30.5 and 31 up to 31.67 in round one. How many tournaments has he played so far this year? He's probably played about three or four tournaments. He was number one in greens in regulation at on Thursday for the season. He was 91%. Yeah. <laughs> he, I mean, last year he was top five all time, I believe, in tee to green strokes game. Yeah. Look, I, this is going to be something that only continues and gets a little bit worse with age, right? Like players get a little bit worse with it. the longer they play, the more fear, the more scar tissue, the more baggage they end up accumulating with the putter. But I mean, I still think he's going to absolutely figure it out because he's got such a long career ahead of him and, you know, they'll get into some sort of contraption, whether he goes to a long putter, he goes to a lab putter. I don't know. Like he's going to figure it out. There's just no point in playing a blade. If you don't make any putts with a blade, they're so unforgiving. You get ball speed penalties. If you miss the center by three millimeters. So what's the point, you know, find an alignment tool that actually helps you. His start lines are probably not correct. Like he probably just thinks he's looking straight and he's actually half a degree or so off of what his expectation of straight is. And then if you can build a putter around some of those, you know, inconsistencies, even if he gets it from 30 and a half to 29, he shoots four shots better per event. Like he's going to continue hitting the ball the way he does. So it's just a small nudge to get from 105th to 70th wins him one or two more events a year. Scheffler has to get off the blade. It's as simple as that. He needs to go to a mallet. And he needs to be honest with himself and say, look, I need something that's uh, a lot more forgiving for me uh, and realize that he does have a problem with it. I think he's in a bit of denial with it, too. I think there's a compounding issue, too, with him, because when you hit as many greens and have as many birdie putts as he's going to have. Now, obviously, that just means that when he misses one, it makes him kind of itch in his brain. And then he's got another one and another one and another one. And then it starts messing with you and the hole starts moving, right? So I think like part of his brilliance is actually hurting him because now he's got more 10-foot birdie putts than anyone else, you know, since Tiger Woods. And the expectation is you're going to make half of those, right? If you make 40%, you stink. Like you literally stink and you won't win. So like there's got to be this like, you know, game in his head going on where he just, it's like this recurring nightmare. It's like, oh my God, another 10 foot putt. Does this break right or left? I can't see it. Um, so I bet, you know, that's this weird compounding issue for him. You know, the, the putts I saw him miss came from chips that just straight a little too far past the hole, uh, like on 15, maybe inside five feet and he's not making it. Dude, he putted into a bunker. Did you see that? Yeah. Like it was a 20 foot putt. He putted into a bunker and what did he finish third place third place yeah uh, okay. it, it's wild dude it's wild i mean we're talking about something that is so minuscule but at the same time for someone like scotty scheffler it is enormous he's got to figure it out otherwise he's going to continue not winning i wouldn't even say losing he's going to continue not winning he's the only player on tour i think that could win a lot of tournaments every year he could win seven events a year yeah he could win a hell of a lot no one else could win more than maybe three. 
Well, we'll see. We'll see it for ourselves this week. Uh, the tour is back in the City of Angels this week for the Genesis Invitational. Let's go. Riv. The, the go. Oh, you got the Riv hat on today. Sure I do. It's it. Riv week, baby. Well, I'll pick one up when I go this week. Um, the Goats playing. Big news there. Charlie Hoffman earned his spot in the field this week after his incredible performance in Phoenix. The weather's looking like it's going to be okay. Certainly won't be filled with the same shenanigans that went on in Phoenix. We know that for a fact. I'm going Friday. You're going Thursday. Who are you going to be watching and who do you want to win? My pick this week is Justin Thomas. He's on fire. He's playing great. His confidence is at an all-time high. He seems like a guy who should win Riviera. JT, I think, is uh, is playing great, and I'm really kind of going for him. For who I'm going to follow and root for, I'll try and get there on Thursday morning. I don't know what time Tiger is going to go off on Thursday yet. If he's off in the morning, um, I'll probably try and avoid it and then wait two or three holes for him to come through. I'm not going to bother walking and following that. It's crazy. I don't think I'm going to be following Tiger. I saw him win in 2000 at St. Andrews. So, you know, I want to keep those memories. I think one of the West Coast guys is going to win because Poana is so tough to putt on for a lot of these guys. I've seen far too many players at Riv not being able to read breaks correctly on those greens. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think uh, there's going to be an advantage to someone who's played more Poana than the other guys, and they don't play a lot of it. You like Max? I love Max, man. How could you not love Max? Everyone loves Max. Max is great. Like he is everything you want out of a PGA Tour player. If Max won, I would be happy as Larry. Live golf. Dustin Johnson wins the second live event of the year in Vegas, uh, shooting 12 under. You see John Rahm, the greatest player of his generation, cold hard shank one, dead right. I love Ram Shanks. Oh, he's done it a couple times. You know he's going to shank it at some point, and it's going to be damn good. And it makes you feel good. He's the best player. And if he shanks the ball, then there's hope for all of us. Yeah, I love watching a good Ram Shank. Um, <laughs> I think there's a couple of videos on YouTube where you can just see him hitting a couple. But, yeah, you know, Dustin makes par. Paulina rushes out for her $4 million moment with, uh, <laughs> with her husband. Crowd goes wild, mass hysteria, dogs and cats living together. It was, it's Liv, man. Golf, but louder. It was a very smart move by Liv hosting a tournament in the same city as the Super Bowl. I mean, no question that the Liv field has equaled the PGA Tour, right? The world golf rankings need to get sorted out. And it needs to get sorted out quickly. I'm, I'm sick of all the talk about, oh, the players are going to live. You know, they don't deserve it, blah, blah, blah. No, it's sorted out. Cam Smith's 35 in the world. Joaquin Neiman's 74th. DeChambeau's 167th. And Dustin Johnson's 218th in the world. That's just wrong. And there needs to be some kind of solution here where, you know, even if they remain separate, like I want to see all the best players in the world outside of the majors playing against each other at least four times a year other than the major tournaments. I think eight times a year, big events like that, would be the way to go and the players because i think the players is the fifth major yeah look and i i agree that the world golf rankings are crazy i mean the fact that dustin johnson is considered the 218th best player in the world is pretty funny because we all know like we're not stupid i would even argue that dj and bryson are probably in the top 25 almost assuredly next week we're not talking about the state of professional golf we're going to find something a bit more interesting to talk about as we mentioned, we're delighted to announce our uh, partnership with our new sponsor, Studio 72. We are giving away the first ever Riviera print by Studio 72. It'll be framed, and you're in with a chance to win it. All you have to do is this, and it's very simple. Head on over to Instagram, follow Studio 72 at Studio 72 and Imposter Golf Pod. Tag three friends in the comments and subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't done that already. We're going to be announcing the winner on episode seven of the show next week, followed by an announcement on our social media channels. By the time you are listening to my dulcet tones, the competition will be up and running. In the meantime, though, you can head over to studio72.com, use the code IMPOSTER15 to get 15% off everything on their website. Dude, 
I'm excited. I've seen the print and it looks awesome. Yeah, it looks, looks sweet. I mean, they've done a lot of really cool courses, some iconic courses. And, you know, their art is very simple. It's very, uh, it's very iconic. There's a very big signature to it. You haven't quite seen it. You'll see it and be like, what is that? It's a great conversation piece. It's classy no matter what your decor is in your living room or your man cave or your business, your office, like whatever it is. Like this is really cool. It's a growing company. Like we've had a lot of, uh, you know, opportunity to kind of get to know them. And it's, I think this is kind of a sky is the limit type golf art opportunity ahead of them. You know, you can always find something that actually relates to your golf experience, right? That's one of the coolest things about Studio 7-2. They even take custom golf course prints, so you can actually have your home course wherever that may be, Philippines, Australia, South Africa, England, you can have them customize a, a golf course print for you. And like I said, it's pretty striking. You walk into a room and you see a Studio 72 print, you're like, what is that? Like, and everyone kind of has the same reaction to it. So we're really excited to be associated with them. And to be able to offer 15% off to our listeners, really cool. Imposter 15. This is huge for us, man. We've got our first sponsor. Expect anything different? No mailbag this week. We're going to do something a little bit different. This is a one-on-one mailbag, me to Sean. I wanted to discuss the merits of using a set wedge versus a pitching wedge. And I'm going to use myself as an example here. I currently use uh, a 48-degree Cleveland RTX 6 wedge. I'm struggling more so with distance control uh, and contact with this particular wedge. Uh, This is the first specialty wedge that I've had uh, just some issues with, I guess. Usually I'm playing full shots. So that kind of put the thought into my brain of perhaps it's time to go back to the, the traditional Mizuno pitching wedge. What do you think I should do? Like, what would what is the difference that you see? Um, why would that be causing me a problem? Well, a set wedge or an iron that's a pitching wedge has a lower center of gravity than a tour style, you know, gap wedge or um you know, pitching wedge. Okay. So that's number one. Most of the tour style wedges, they're going to pretty much eliminate any discretionary material that you can put low because they're really focused on launching the ball lower. Okay. Um, whereas any iron set, even like an MP4 blade style set is still going to have quite a low center of gravity. Okay. So that's going to try and launch the ball higher relative to the loft. If the lofts are equal. And I bet you'd see that if you tested them, I would anticipate the, the MP4 pitching wedge to launch one or two degrees higher than, than the RTX. Um, the other advantage, obviously, because there's no discretionary material and that higher center of gravity, and because it's a cast made design, like you're going to incur ball speed penalty if you'd miss the center of the club. And it's going to be pretty progressive and consistent. The further off the club's center of gravity that you hit it, the more ball speed you're going to lose. So it's easier to take a little bit off of a cast wedge, even compared to a blade. And it's mainly due to where that center of gravity is. I would still try and do a test primarily on launch. You're going to see a little bit more spin, I would imagine, too, with the RTX, just a little bit. I don't think it's going to be that much, but the launch is really what you want to look at. And, um, you know, being able to hit those three quarter shots, being able to hit those long bunker shots, being able to hit those lower pitch shots that run, land and run out after checking a little bit. Those are really designed to play into the hands of the cast wedge's strength, right? It's just not as easy to manipulate the pitching wedge from the iron set and open it up and, and hit it off different surfaces and try and flight different you know trajectories. So that's the primary reason there are tour players who play the set gap wedge, you know, that you've seen on on the PGA tour on live uh, at the highest level amateur game. Um, You'll definitely see uh, some of the players using the set, the set gap wedge for sure. Um, It's just, they're not going to, you know, move over to a 50 degree or 48 around the green uh, nearly as often, unless they are forced to. I'm sold. I'm going to, I'm definitely moving to the set wedge. After this, I mean, I really only play full shots and um, it just makes logical sense. Yeah. I mean, if you miss hit that thing, right, from 115 yards and it ends up at 107, you could be in the front face of the bunker plugged. 
and all of a sudden you've turned what should have been at least a par, if not a potential birdie opportunity, into a double bogey just like that. And you walk off the green going, I literally just cost myself two and a half shots, and it was because I missed it five and a half millimeters on the low toe. And that's just not worth it for most of us. We got a little segment here, Tales from the Bay. Sean is going to tell us some tales from uh, his workplace with some interesting fitting experiences. So what do you got for us? Today, I had a good player in kind of on the border of being a tour player versus a high level amateur. He's basically a plus three handicap and he comes in not really for a fitting, but more of a course correction and kind of gets some information on his clubs. So the guy walks in and I'm looking at these Wilson staff CBs. Now they're pretty newish, about two years old, probably. I'm looking at the six iron because that's what I usually fit against. And something just doesn't look right. There's some weird bends in it. You know, it's a well used six iron. But I'm looking at it going, this doesn't look like a six iron at all. So I put it in our Mitchell machine. Normally, out of the factory, this club is a 30 degree six iron, okay? Very traditionally lofted players style cavity back. And uh, I had to double check it twice just to make sure I was crazy. And I went back for a third time. It had 22 degrees of loft on it. Um, on top of that, it was also playing a half an inch, if not three quarter of an inch short, depending on whose standard you go on. And I'm looking at this and I'm talking to this player and keep in mind, this guy's, you know, a plus three handicap. He shot 65 a couple weeks ago, right? And he's like, yeah, you know, I get to my long irons and they just don't get up in the air at all. And I'm like, uh, dude, yeah, I wonder why. I, I looked a little deeper. I mean, this thing has like negative six degrees of bounce on it, right? So it's just literally a knife edge pointing directly into the turf with 22 degrees aloft and he's hitting it and he's actually doing a pretty good job of making it work. And he's launching this ball with about 130 ball speed around 11 degrees, which is very low with about six, uh, 5,000 spin, which for his speed and launch is extremely low. So he's coming into the green at about 40 degrees, uh, landing about 190. And obviously that ball, especially in harder conditions, is just never going to stay on the green. His entire set was anywhere between four to eight degrees strong. So the key here is anytime you bend a club strong, or weak, you are also affecting the bounce and you're affecting the offset of the club. Okay. So this club was bent so far forward that not only did he have negative bounce, so no bounce, no leading edge, uh, or, or no sole behind the leading edge to actually stop the club from digging. He had no loft and because they were shorter, the shaft wasn't kicking and adding any loft either. So we end up going into the same shaft in a standard length with the same head model and the same shot that launched at 11 with 5,000 spin at 130 ball speed, but his launch went up to 17 and his spin rate went up to 6,500. Like it was one of those setups where I literally told him, I said, dude, I don't know how you play these things. You need to unfortunately like destroy them. They're of no use to anyone. And he was like, well, I have another set of Apex TCBs from last year with the same shafts just sitting in my house and I didn't change them. And I was like, yeah, just play those, please. <laughs> I mean, we basically <laughs> put the modern version of, of that club, the Apex CB in his hand. All of the problems went away, you know, but like to think that a player can be that skilled, you know, play at that level and have equipment that wrong and not only just wrong, but like like completely destroyed, like beyond Frankenstein zone and still get the ball around tells you, you know, equipment isn't this magic elixir. Don't overthink it. The engineers that make these golf clubs are way smarter than, than you. So if you think that you can reinvent how the golf club is designed to work and work properly, uh, you're digging yourself a very deep hole. That's always been my, my kind of approach too. It's like the, the mathematics is, is been done. 100%. On golf clubs, like all you have to do is uh, is find the right fit. Yeah, and the golf clubs and the golf ball are so good that as long as the club is designed correctly and fit for the swing, the math will translate to the right answer. I fit over five thousand golfers at this point around LA, so I've seen all kinds of stuff, and there's always interesting experiences from my perspective that I see. So I hope people yeah. like this because I think it would be a lot of fun to talk about. And I, I think you're going to get some really interesting stories out of this segment if we continue it. 
That was Tales from the Bay. Tales from the Bay. <laughs> Lots of bending going on there. Too much bending. We're going into rapid fire. I hope you got some questions for me. I got some questions for you, dude. Yeah, I got a question for you. Can I start? Yeah, hit me. All right. What's the most frightened you've ever been? Okay. Okay. We'll go deep. We. I was in the band. We were doing a live session at KCRW in Santa Monica. Hmm. Um, this is when I was still living in England. So we were on tour here in, in LA. I was at Santa Monica College at KCRW. We just finished our live session, which followed Tom York and um, Nigel Godrich being on the show. We're out in the little courtyard area taking photos with the radio personalities. And a woman comes running down the stairs and she says... Everybody, get back inside. There's a guy out there. He's got a gun, and he's shooting people. And I thought I was going to die. So that was that was it. We were in lockdown for three hours. Five people were killed. Oh, my God. Um, and the SWAT team came in, and they said, everybody, we're moving out. Double file, be aware. And I'm thinking to myself, be aware. What does he mean by be aware? And they walked us out and there was blood everywhere. And then there was the gunman's dead body lying on the street. And then we got interviewed by the FBI and we were meant to play a gig that night uh, in LA and we couldn't because uh, the whole university was a crime scene. So, uh, hey, you asked the question, <laughs> I answered. Wow. Yeah. Didn't know what I was walking into there. Um, you did not. Hmm. You did not. That okay. was pretty wild. I was in Boston at Town Bar for the Boston Marathon bombing with a work convention in my past career. And, uh, you know, we went to watch one of the gals who was on our team run the marathon. It must have been like 11 o'clock. Maybe it was noon at that point. I'm, I'm honestly not even sure the day was such a blur. But um, we got there about 30, 40 minutes before we anticipated this uh, girl, Erin, to cross the finish line. And we're at this huge bar open place and um, you know having some beers and all that. And we felt the ground shake. And I immediately was like, was that a bomb? that went off. And I went over to the window, which I was like six feet away from. And I looked down Boylston street where the finish line was. And I saw smoke, something that's burned into my head that I still get emotional about on Patriots day. And I think about being there, especially when they play that Red Sox game in the, in the early morning was, you know, obviously all these people running away, right. But you had dozens of people running towards it. And I remember looking out the window and thinking, okay, a bomb just went off. Holy shit. And then I saw these people running and they were running with like towels in their hands. Right now, I didn't see any people that were injured at this point, but I just remember looking at that and someone pulled the fire alarm. They said, we got to get out of here. And I remember as I was looking in the window, I saw the second bomb go off. Now, I was a quarter mile away probably, so it was just a little bit too far to feel as if like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Um, but I saw the smoke plume come around the building and more people started running and it was more of a panic and then some people started running towards it. We were all leaving. None of the cell phones worked because the FBI had already gotten there and they assumed that the bombs were going off remote detonator style. So they jammed all the cell phones and you could do that in, you know, Boston back in, uh, that time period, we got out, we started going. Some of our group literally went into the next pub and kept drinking. They're like, Oh, this is great. We're just going to hang out here. They didn't realize the magnitude of the situation. And I'm like, I am going to get out of this spot because if there's a third bomb, it is right in front of the building that we're standing in. And thankfully there was never a third from, uh, you know, what had happened. I don't know if there was, these assholes were throwing pipe bombs at people and, um, it was just an awful situation. You know, this Boston was locked down for like three days. It's still probably the most proud moment that I have being from Boston or at least lived there for a long time because the entire city raised up 
and we were like, let's smoke these guys out and catch them. And, you know, if you, if anyone remembers, like there was big shootouts, literally, you know, half a mile from where my apartment was in, uh, in Watertown, I had a Blackhawk helicopter hovering directly above my backyard. It was something, but I remember that moment where the second bomb went off and I was like, if there's a third one, it's right outside. And that was the scariest and that I had been. And, you know, there's scars from that, right? Like the, the town is totally different. Like there's so many people that had arms and legs blown off. It was just awful, man. Um, but I didn't, I didn't die, thankfully. And I didn't see anyone actually get killed or maimed. I just saw the smoke. I saw the heroes running towards it. So that was the scares, the most scared I've been for sure. These are all events that change you um, and do put life into perspective. The reason I got back into golf after 18 years of not playing golf um, was for therapy. It had become an escape for me, to be honest, from a lot of trauma at the time. And little did I know that, you know, the sport of golf was going to pretty much consume every waking moment of my life after that. But um, I really don't know what to say. I mean, I was in London for the, the, the London bombs that they had there. And that was just, it's, it's just tragic, man. Life is, um, life is precious. And I don't really understand why people are this way or need to feel that they, they have to be this way. And we have a good here in America, quite frankly. I mean, this is a super violent country. You know, you have all these issues and yet, you know, we can pretty much go to sleep at night and feel pretty confident nothing directly is going to happen to us, right? And, you know, we live pretty full lives and we've had one or two moments where we were close to something or saw something or know someone who went through something. But, you know, like there's a bunch of other places in the world where, you know, they can't put their head on the pillow and just like assume they're going to be fine every night. Like we do have it really, really well made. And, and I'm a big believer that golf is much of a favorite thing as it is for me. And, you know, I've made a career of it and it's your therapy and all that. Like we are so lucky that we can even bother to have the time and the place to do this, like to have the security necessary from a military perspective to be able to literally lay out 18 random holes and chase a white ball around, you know, the earth because we're in such a protected and serene and peaceful area of the globe is like something that people forget about all the time. And I forget about it, man. I was so upset like this weekend playing badly and like, you know, you take a step back and you're like, hey, idiot, <laughs> like, look at how yeah. great this is. It's so hard to, you know, you lose that perspective in a heartbeat by missing a green or chipping a ball 10 feet past the hole or missing a putt that you feel like you should make or losing a match for 20 bucks. I mean, it's like, it's, yeah. uh, I, I always need to remind myself of how lucky that is. And, you know, it really is a, a luxury and spoil of war that, we have golf in the first place. And I just don't think people think about that enough and, and pinch themselves enough. I certainly remember it when I'm sitting here, not on the golf course, hitting bad shots, but you know, when you look back on it, it's like pretty much a miracle. And I've always said it's a glitch in the matrix. Like it shouldn't exist, but it exists. And I have a job that shouldn't exist, but it exists. And, uh, you know, focusing on on that and how lucky you are is kind of the best way forward yeah we're lucky we're lucky to be alive and we're lucky to have arms and legs and healthy enough bodies to play this game no question well that was a long question um i don't know where we go with that question for you what's the worst golf training aid you've ever used i don't i don't really use them very much right like I'll tell you Neither the I'll tell you the best one I've ever used without realizing how good it was was I got to feel what a swing robot's uh, able to do. It basically you stood up to it, you grabbed on to a golf handle, and it swung like Dustin Johnson, right? So it put the club in a spot that Dustin Johnson had, it. and all five eight of me was like, 
ah, <laughs> like holding on like to Mary Poppins balloon blowing away or umbrella blowing away because I physically couldn't even get to that spot. And then when the club came down, I was like, there's no way a human like swings a golf club like this. And I think looking back on it, you know, now that I've learned so much more about the golf swing, like obviously that is the right way to swing the club, right? But it felt so alien because I'd been doing it so wrong that like I, I, there was the Grand Canyon between what I thought was right and what was actually right. And training aids, I think, are always designed to give you a little bump in the right direction, right? They're not there to like actually tell you the solution. They're there to give you a hint on one particular position or, you know, a thought process and a trigger to get to a certain move or position, but to actually feel the robot swing the way that at the time a number one player in the world was swinging was so like out there, my head almost exploded. And I'm pretty sure I tore both of my shoulders trying to hold on to that club. So I would rather flip it and say the best one was probably the iron Byron. I don't use training aids. I don't like training aids. And look, I talked earlier about my swing. So yeah, I don't have it. I don't even have an answer for the worst. Yeah. Obviously you don't use training aids. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just swinging my swing, baby. Your turn. Is Pluto considered a planet? Yes. Okay. So there's nine planets. Okay. Technically it's not. I consider it a planet. It's been a planet longer than it hasn't been a planet in my life. So it was always a planet for me growing up. Cool. If you think it's a planet, it's a planet. It's a planet. All right. What would be your dream job in all of sports? You know, it's tough because in order to be like a real commentator and analyst, you have to have legit chops, right? And if I don't have the chops, I can't really be an analyst or commentator for golf, which is a little like upsetting, but I totally understand, you know, because I think being able to do something along the lines of like what Iona Steven does, right? She was a great player. She had some injuries, wasn't able to get to, you know, the, the LPGA tour, um, played on the let for a long time. Like she goes around, she's on course commentary. Uh, she travels with the tour. She gives interviews. She does great work. I'm a huge fan of like what she does. I think that's one of the best jobs in all of sports, right? Not necessarily have the pressure to be a player, but be in that foxhole and on the golf course to be able to paint the picture and the story tell in real time. And obviously getting to know the player so you have an understanding of what they're thinking or what they're probably thinking about. I think that would be the most fun job in sport uh, if you're willing to do the travel, right? Because especially... I mean, for the DP World Tour, I mean, those guys travel so much. The The PGA Tour guys certainly travel a ton too, but for the most part, they're stateside. But the DP World, I mean, they go everywhere, right? They rack up major miles. And having to be on the, on the tour every week is a lot. Um, but I would say, like, being an on-course analyst has got to be one of the best. If not, you know, the, the Monday Night Football commentator. That's a pretty good job too for $25 bucks. Yeah, that'd be a hard job to take. Uh, I don't know whether I want to evolve analytics in my dream job. I would... uh, Look, if we're going for a dream job in all of sports, where's the ceiling? Can I be Michael Jordan? (laughs) Well, I mean, like, you have to have a reasonable opportunity to pull it off. If you don't have the physical gifts, I think it's pretty hard. Like, I, I would need to convince everyone I was good enough to tell people, Hey, this is how golf should be played, I suppose. But you know, there's been a couple guys who haven't necessarily made the PGA tour who still do commentary. I honestly don't know. I was, I was going to ask you, I hadn't even thought about what my dream job would be in all sports. I'll tell you what, being a race car driver would be up there too. The funny thing about race car driving is obviously you have Max Verstappen and, and Lewis Hamilton, Sebastian Loeb. I mean, all time drivers, right? Uh, at the same time, only so many people get an opportunity to, to start racking up laps behind a car anyway, because it costs so much money to, you think golf is expensive, try mm. motor sports, right? So like you can have a reasonable amount of talent, but if you have the funding to just do lap after lap after lap and change tires and travel a car around the world, like you can actually get pretty good at driving, right? And pretty legit and actually have a chance to, to win some 
pretty competitive races because there's only so many people able to afford that kind of lifestyle. So it's not totally unreasonable to think you could get to a point of respectability in professional race car driving much easier than professional golf or professional other sports, right? Because it's so cost prohibitive. So if someone wants to fund me, I'm pretty good. I've done Laguna Seca. I've done Thermal. I've done BMW, M School, Skip Barber. I got the ability to put four tires on apexes. Uh, so let's go. <laughs> you named a lot of race car drivers. I don't think any of those are a patch on the late, great Ayrton Senna. He I mean, is he is the goat. Uh-huh. The goat. I never yeah. want to go that fast. Um, yeah. Aaron Senna, Michael Schumacher. I mean, I can keep going if you want. You know, no, like, I mean, we could. there's a lot of great ones. Okay, we're at the end of the show. That was episode six of Imposter Syndrome. We've lost Sean Fagan. He has gone. His internet connection's down. Um, thank you, though, Sean. And when you finally hear this, it's been a pleasure being on this show with you. Please like, subscribe, and leave a rating or review for us wherever you can on our socials uh, or wherever you're listening to the podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at Imposter Golf Pod. You can follow us on YouTube at Imposter Golf Pod. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at NCNO Golf Lab, NCNO Golf Lab. You can follow Sean on Instagram at SKF Golf. If you have any questions for us at all regarding fitting and building, send us a DM on Instagram at Imposter Golf Pod. But until next time, folks, don't lose your connection. Keep driving the ball straight. Bye.